because I always loved color, I loved style, and I would have watched my mother really struggle to make the most of an absolute dearth of anything fashionable because shops in those days, drapery shops, they were number one practical. Yes. They were a good, solid overcoat. They were sort of good, solid skirts and blouses. But my mother wanted more. And she did most certainly influence me. And sure, I was dying then to get away to see what the big bad world out there (laughs) held in terms of, of style and fashion. This is the Gilded Thread Podcast. I am Irene O'Brien and I have a long-standing obsession with the role of clothing in our lives. We are definitely living in a time when so many of us have the platform to broadcast every minute of our own lives, should we choose. I wanted to hear from those people whose stories are perhaps a little less shared and learn about their lives as recalled through their style memories. Today I am chatting with Noel Cunningham, a man who oozes style and grace. I was so excited to speak with him about where his love of fashion developed and also why how we present ourselves is so important in today's environment. Noel Cunningham, you're so welcome to The Gilded Thread. Thank you so much for joining me here today. Well, I am really delighted to be here. Um, Your call came out of the blue and it's quite a pleasure uh, to be included in the wonderful group of people that you talk to at different times, all of whom have their own story. And thank you again. Thank you so much, Noel. And I'm so interested in your story. I was trying to remember when I would have first, when when I w- you would have first come to kind of my mind or when I would have known you first and when I saw you first, because in recent years, we would have cross paths and I would notice you at things that you were maybe presenting at or you might be dressing a table at something and I had my first baby moon up in the lovely Harvey's Point so I've seen you with all your different very stylish hats on um, at one time or another but I think it might have been the TV contributions I think it might have been um, the soaps that you were doing long time ago and yes the- it, it may well have been or I, I reported for quite a long time on Matters Royal, uh, particularly Diana, whom I happen to know in a very limited way, but nonetheless, I'd met her a number of times. And it was because of that, when I moved back to Ireland, that people knew in the UK I'd had that connection. And that was how I probably end up meeting you really on the old Ireland AM or the six o'clock show all on TV3. Yeah. As it was then, now Virgin Media. Uh, That was so ahead of its time because talking about fashion and style and trends, I always kind of feel that the old Ireland AM was very much to the fore in exposing, (laughs) to use that word, not expose, (laughs) but exposing kind of that whole world to the Irish nation because it was quite common in the UK to switch on sort of television in the morning and see a breakfast show and they talk about lifestyle and fashion and style. We never had that in Ireland until Ireland AM decided to do a breakfast show or rather TV3 in those days and it was really ahead of its time and marvellous and sort of all of you 
and different stylists and different contributors and different podcasters and different influencers. We didn't call you all that in those days, but you were really influencing. And sure, do you remember when Exposey started with Lisa Cannon and Glenda Gilson and uh, Lorraine Keenshaw? My goodness, uh, it was really, really breaking new ground it was just fantastic it was actually and so funny when you're saying that because I'm thinking yeah actually you know it was it was glamorous and it was exciting and I remember when TV3 first started and I think Lorraine had that um, an entertainment segment at the end of the news That's and then right. that evolved to, yeah. to expose it because I think she I think expose it was her brainchild and that idea that actually yeah you were seeing Irish people get the interview and Irish people go into the shows and Irish people returning back and yeah it, it, it it's probably hard to imagine now because social media wasn't even as big then as well but that this idea that you were tuning in and getting a taste of almost the the exotic and the exciting and and again being influenced in a major way you yeah, know all of those uh, all of those presenters my goodness um I remember um you know somebody saying to me that we really don't realize that all of those presenters we are tuning in every afternoon every evening to see what are they wearing yes. you know um who they're talking to became almost unimportant it was you know the presentation and the style and because of them all of the glamorous people like yourselves came <gasps> as part of the package so it, it was really um, really exciting times. Yeah, exactly. And you're right, because I remember even when I started doing things with them, you know, they'd be getting calls in all the time about where's that dress from? Where's that? And the phones would be hopping in there, you know, in TV3. Yes. And it wasn't because there wasn't necessarily the platform originally. Now people go outfit of the day, tell people what they're wearing mm. and all of that. So that, yeah, that's really exciting. I wanted to, I, I, I want to kind of go back and hear about um, how how this Noel in front of me came to be. And I was really interested in young Noel in Donegal. And I was wondering, before we chat more about kind of all the amazing adventures that you have been on and the work that you do now, if you could just give me a little bit of insight, if you can think back to the house that you grew up in and wh what formed your, you know, what informed your style and, and your love of um, just immaculate presentation, I suppose, in every which way. Well, Interesting that you say that because I grew up in a very different Ireland. I grew up um, in the 50s and 60s and I grew up in a rural uh, farmhouse um, and I always look at people and remember people like my mother and my aunts who would clamber to get magazines from the UK or from family members who perhaps had emigrated to America because no TVs, you know, so they were depending on uh, magazines to keep them in touch with all things fashionable. And people like my mother uh, would have in many in many instances made their own dresses and if they were going to a wedding or a special occasion they would actually have to consider where can we get fabric you know where can we get a pattern I wonder is there any way I can get my hands on one of those fabulous magazines that in those days were, by and large, I suppose, published in London or New York? You know, Dublin was still very much in its infancy. And, you know, 
I also remember people like the great Sybil Connolly and, you know, even I remember when they introduced the mix of blue and green on Erlingus. You know, blue and green should never be seen. Mm -hmm. And in came the Jorgensons and said, why not? And created quite a stir. And people like my mother... You know, they were of that old school that you didn't leave the house unless you made an effort. You know, going to Mass on Sunday was a social occasion. Going to Mass on Sunday was truly putting on your Sunday best. And going out to, you know, a dance or or a big night as they did. You know, they took great care with what they wore. And looking back, my sister and I were looking back at some old photographs of my mother and my aunts and even my grandmother. My goodness, they looked so fabulous. You know, and why did they look fabulous? Because they were really sort of touching base with the Hollywood and the London scene that they saw in magazines. And they would also have heard on, on, on the radio about Princess Elizabeth and Princess Margaret Rose. And they would see pictures of what the royals were wearing. You know, and to this day, in style matters, we still have a fascination with the royal family, particularly the British royal family. And they never disappoint because people thought Diana was the first sort of cheerleader for that not at all because as say when I was growing up my mother would have been wondering what Princess Elizabeth later Queen Elizabeth uh, II was wearing what Princess Margaret was wearing and then of course the rest is history as it were because along comes people like Diana the Princess of Wales who just all of a sudden became the royal style icon all over the world, you know, people copied her, they watched her, designers craved for her custom because if any of them chose anything, you know, or if she chose any of them, I mean, they were made up for life. And all of those influences back in the 50s and 60s, ordinary people living in rural Ireland, depending on their inspiration from magazines and the odd cine reel that they might see at the local cinema was what influenced style and fashion. And in some ways we were the better for it because they had to choose fabric with care Mm -hmm. because they couldn't afford to just buy and discard. They had to buy something that really lasted and looked fantastic. And that's why even people like McGee of Donegal and the magnificent fabrics Mm -hmm. they, they created to this day up in Donegal, they are weaving beautiful McGee fabric that is being bought by the great houses. You know, think of the great French fashion houses and Italian fashion houses and American fashion houses. They are buying that magnificent fabric to turn into these beautiful creations. So all of those things influence me. And then, because my father was the only one of his family to remain in Donegal, his brother went off to America and you know not a people might have forgotten that in the 50s and 60s and 70s a parcel might come from the United States uh, gifting clothes and my mother used to get so excited because she would open this parcel as we call them that came 
all the way from New York. And in there would be jackets and pearls and perfumes, all that sort of thing. And now and again, my uncle would send a jacket or perhaps a suit that my father might wear. And, you know, to this day, I look at those uh, things in my memory's eye and look back and think, oh, my God, when I think back I was only about, what, 14 or 15, and I remember a jacket coming from America in a kind of a pink box square design, and it would have looked quite out of place on my father in rural (laughs) Donegal, but I thought, you know what, I'm going to wear that and I'll get away with it, Yeah, Uh, because I always loved... color I loved style and I would have watched my mother really struggle to make the most of an absolute dearth of anything fashionable because shops in those days drapery shops they were number one practical yes they were a good solid overcoat they were sort of good solid skirts and blouses but my mother wanted more and she did most certainly influence me and sure I was dying then to get away to see what the big bad world out there (laughs) held in terms of of style and fashion. So did you really it sounds like you did did you really care about how you dressed and presented yourself at that age because you were obviously you're you're lighting up there speaking about your mom's process and the clothing and those packages which I know my mom speaks about them arriving from America she said like the kids would just be losing their minds to see who was getting what and just that everything felt so distinguished that they were wearing yes. then because it was just it was just so different and and that there was more color coming in as well that's what she had always said about it so was your mom, did she enjoy that you had that kind of shared interest? Or was it something that um, you were trying to maybe um, express yourself through clothing early on? Or did that all come later? Because, you know, anyone that has seen you knows that you always kind of make an entrance and you obviously love your clothes and there's such an extension of your personality. Yeah, but I suppose and also in many ways what you were doing also, and perhaps without realising it, um, you were maybe grappling with the whole sort of reality that you were gay and that perhaps you didn't fit in Mm -hmm. and all of those influences uh, that were afoot you thought oh my god I so want to wear that but it will leave me more vulnerable Mm -hmm. and more likely to be bullied or name called or whatever Mm -hmm. so you were fighting that aspect of your person and your being and your personality as well but certainly I would say without fail that even though as a child your parents made sure that if you went to mass on Sunday or even if you went uh, to a family occasion that they they sort of really hammered home the fact that you had to look smart, that you had to be tidy and well presented. And my mother isn't dead very long, but, you know, even, you know, if in recent years I would be calling to take her to a family funeral or a family occasion, without realizing it she would scan you the moment Mm. you got out of the car and came into the house to see if you were appropriately dressed and don't forget going back to channeling that personality or that person that was really in there trying to get out 
Uh, my mother would probably have tried to push that back a bit. Yes, I, was I wouldn't that. understand why. Yeah. But she probably knew that Noel, at 14 or 15, if you go to Mass on Sunday wearing a bright pink sort of silk jacket, it isn't going to exactly endear you uh, to the local lads. And, yeah. uh, you know, you just might leave yourself open to a bit of ridicule and um, name calling. And I, I mean, let's be call a spade a spade, just that whole sort of um, homophobia mm. that we didn't really know what it was in those days. Mm-hmm. We didn't know who we were. We didn't know what we were channeling, but yet it still didn't mean that you were in a situation that, you know, kind of bullying and, um, uh, kind of verbal abuse were were part mm. of, and you had to be careful, because as you know, we express the person we are in the way we dress, mm-hmm. you know, the way we behave, the way we sort of conduct ourselves. It's all there, and it has to come out at some stage. Mm. And now, thankfully, I don't feel quite so vulnerable. Yeah, because I'm interested listening to you, and when you were because when you were talking about the pink jacket, I was thinking, oh, interesting. So, so did you feel I can go out wearing this, or was it I I would like to go out wearing that? Because then, when you were speaking about your mom, and I understand probably why she was, you know, trying to protect you. Does it mean that you kind of learned the power of clothing from a very young age that actually if I wear this, I can either be conspicuous, which wasn't necessarily in your favour, you know, in in your interest to do that um, at times, or I can maybe dim a little bit how I would like to express myself, but I might have an easier day. Absolutely. Uh, Both of those sort of statements are completely true. And I suppose now I'm at that stage in my life that I really see good dressing and attention to standards, not just in, in the way you behave, but in the way you dress also gives you the confidence, mm-hmm. you know, that you can be the person you are, that you think I'm choosing that particular outfit because it's exactly what I need for that occasion. And the message in some cases that I need to portray or get across. Um, so, yes, in a way, you were fearful that if you overdid it, you left yourself too vulnerable, so you modified. And then you thought, well, you know, in my teens, late teens, once I get away, it'll be different. But it wasn't necessarily, because it was still a time when, you know, being different wasn't easy. Mm. <laughs> we'll just say being different in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it takes some years, no more than with any dress sense, or with any expression, to develop that and to be confident with it Mm -hmm. to the point that you say, this is me, Mm -hmm. this is what I wear. You choose with care. You know the message you're portraying. You know what kind of suits you. You know what you get away with. (laughs) And and go for it. Yeah, yeah. And and perhaps people listening to this, you, you know, don't be afraid. Mm. We we live afraid too too much. Mm-hmm. We live in fear too much. Mm. We give too much time in our head to what people think. And I know that that's a lesson I've learned after a lot of suffering and and many years 
under under my belt. But nonetheless, it's no harm to say, don't be afraid to be yourself and express yourself in the way you dress. Yeah, and I think that's such an important message because I know the joy that that can give you. You know, the joy it can give you, it can be your armor, it can be your friend, it can... um, you know, clo- clothing is just so powerful. And I think that, I, like I know, like so many people in my young teens, I was getting the exact same jeans as her and I was getting the exact same top as her and whatever, but I always wanted to just do something a little bit different. And actually I found so much more fun in the clothes when I started kind of doing my own thing. Oh, I love vintage clothes. Oh, okay, that I've access to that. You know, all of those things. But um, I know that you work um, with closely with like teenagers in schools and you chat, you go in and speak to them. And is that what you're speaking to them about? Very much. Yeah. Very much because when you're telling young people to try, when you're teaching the basic tenets of respect for one another, mm-hmm. indirectly in what I do, I'm also trying to tell them that uh, the way we present ourselves tells a lot about us. Mm-hmm. And I also try to, in some ways, introduce that notion with young people that the way I express myself is me. Therefore, don't you decide that you will pass judgment, Mm. you know, not to be judgmental and also to tell them to be courageous, Yes, you know, to be courageous. And I think if you're talking to a group, it kind of helps because then in a social setting, when I say a social setting in terms of, of pupils, you know, at 15, 16, 17 years of age, it might just be walking down the street to a cafe in their lunch break, that if they've had a talk like that from me, there's going to be one or two in the group who might think twice mm. before they pass a comment about one of their peers who is maybe a little bit flamboyant mm-hmm. or on the converse of that, maybe a little bit stick in the mud, a little mm-hmm. bit old fashioned in their choice of dress or or whatever. And somehow that they will respect the fact that we're all different. Let people express themselves. One of the best ways of doing that is in our outward appearance and of course the smile everybody knows the smile and the eyes and all of that but kind of almost sticking purely to dress and fashion and style and the way we express ourselves let's be courageous and i tell young people you be yourself and other peers around don't be judgmental yeah you worry about yourself not about how someone else is expressing themselves in their choice of dress yeah that's such an interesting one because you know it is that thing of saying i love the word courageous and be courageous and be yourself and you know try and because the earlier you get to do that the the more full a life in so many ways you're going to get to live because you'll enjoy things without the distraction of um maybe kind of making yourself smaller or being you know worried about what other people think but the bigger part of that is and allow others be them as well. So I really like without yeah, I really the fear. Like that. Yeah, exactly. We live so much. I've said it a few minutes ago. We live in fear of so many things. And you know what? It is corrosive and sad and it 
it makes us inhibited. It makes us miss out on so much. You have to sometimes just roll all of that fear in a ball and fire it as far away as humanly possible and say, I am me. Mm -hmm. I am what I am. And I know I'm oversimplifying it. It's not quite as black and white and as easy as that. But the more often that message is put out there in mixed groups, Mm -hmm. the more the message filters through to the people who might be prone to comment in a negative way as much as it is to the people who will comment in a positive way. So it's healthy. Yeah, definitely. And when you were talking about that idea that you thought, once I'm gone from here, it will be different. Mm. Did you believe that you could fully be who you wanted to be then because it was this imagined land where that was going to be possible? Or what? tell me about when you first left Donegal and what you you were hoping for and where you were off to. Yeah, I was probably hoping uh, that once I went to boarding school, which I did, and then after boarding school, I'd hoped that, well, if I go to a bigger city, if I go to London, everything will be so much different. But... The sad reality is that whether you're a teenager or a 70-year-old, there are those who will pass remarks about the way we express ourselves, leaving everything else aside, whether we're gay or straight or bisexual or whatever, that's irrelevant. Whether we're an actor or a farmer or a mechanic, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fact that we so often see someone in the street and instead of saying good on you Mm -hmm. that there's so many who will find a reason to make a negative comment and you know the very very sad part of that is that in a lot of cases they're making a comment why because Deep down, they quite envy that mm. person, their courage and their confidence and the look and the way they are. Mm. Um, um, so, you know, I went away. My early my early part, you know, was fun. I liked boarding school, I have to say, because uniform and all that, there wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, any kind of great opportunity for individualism in terms of dress and And that suited you at that time yeah yeah and then I spent a few summers in a very gracious home that should remain nameless but these were people who entertained uh, people of note from all over the world including royalty and it was a formal home with a butler and staff and a housekeeper and um, still in Ireland Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the 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 people of the house were, you know, they were gentry and they lived a gentrified life. And they, you know, they had house guests and they would arrive and their suitcase would be unpacked and their shirts and their things put away or ironed if required. And dinner, you dressed for dinner. Wow. And even the lady of the house... If her husband was absent on business or going off on a tour of gardens or maybe to choose some other works of art or whatever, um, she 
would dress for dinner. You know, she would, her maid would lay out these gorgeous gowns. You know, we're talking about Balenciaga or Dior, you know, just incredible. And the jewels and the diamonds would be taken out of the safe and the table would be magnificent. It didn't matter that she was on her own. Yeah. There was no, there was no way that she was going to have, you know, just supper on a tray in her room. Yeah. You know, not at all. The, get, the dining room was set as, it was unbelievable. You walked into this room and this table that was small enough to seat perhaps 10 or 12 and big enough to seat 30 or 40 people would be fully set. And pieces of silverware would have been taken out of, of the of the vaults in the morning to dress the table, you know, and the beautiful silver cutlery and, and everything. And to this day, I remember that and I remember those rooms. And I remember after dinner, she would withdraw because the drawing room was a withdrawing room because ladies withdrew after oh. dinner to a room uh, the gentlemen left the ladies to go to the library to have a brandy and a cigar. But ladies withdrew to drink tea in a room. And that's where the room, the name drawing room came from. They withdrew with drawing room. And I still see the placement of works of art. You know, how beautifully over a little side table that would have little knickknacks on it. There would be a little arrangement of beautiful little pictures and and watercolours and oil paintings and when I'm redoing a room now in my cottage I in my mind's eye I still flash back to those rooms and it was just such an extraordinary experience and the the gentleman of the house I mean he dressed he put on a tuxedo every evening and his shirts were silk you know and I remember the beautiful, what we'd almost called grandfather lapels on his evening yeah. suits. I'm just so sorry now that I didn't ask him for a few of those <laughs> because they were so kind to me. They treated me so well. They treated me as one of the family and uh, they taught me a great deal about style and about, you know, elegant living. And they were good people and decent people. And that has been an influence throughout my life, and also, which is key in anything to do with fashion and style and doing it right. The gentleman of that house taught me how important it is to have good shoes. Oh, yes. And indeed, madam, it would have to be said, always wore beautiful shoes. But ladies are at an advantage because they can put on all sorts of Mm -hmm. beautiful, beautiful shoes to complement different outfits, you know, little sandals or heels or, you know, whatever. Gentlemen are a little bit more limited. But my goodness, he had those good handmade shoes made by, you know, in London uh, and, you know, handmade and hand-stitched and just... I remember my mother, I remember coming home and I had these beautiful pair of brogues that I'd paid £180 sterling for. And Mammy admired the shoes. And yeah. said, oh gosh, they're beautiful shoes. 
Uh, how much did they uh, cost? Thinking I'd spent about 20 or 30 quid. <laughs> I said, Mammy, they were nearly 200 uh, pound. And she nearly had a canary. She nearly died. She <laughs> says, what? And I remember, funny, um, uh, people find me difficult to buy for, so they usually just give me vouchers. And I remember I'd built up some vouchers for Brown Thomas. Lovely. And I went in and I thought, what am I going to get? Now, the Tom Ford suit that I wanted was in around the two and a half grand. So I didn't have enough. And I thought, no, I don't need another suit anyway at this point. And then there are a few other items that, no, 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 I don't need that at this moment. I'll wait. And then as I went out, I spotted these pair of shoes and they were Mew Mew and they were reduced and I bought them uh, with using the voucher. But, you know, Irish people, sometimes we have a guilt about that know, kind of spending. I know. And even though it wasn't my money, they were gifted to me. Um, I was going into TV3 and I met Lorraine Keane coming out. And she says, Noel, how are you? I said, you know, she said, you look fantastic. I, we were doing recording something. And I said, you know what, um, Lorraine, I'm not joking you. I said, I paid X amount for those shoes that I'm wearing and I feel bad about it. She says, Noel, they look amazing. They will last you a lifetime and they are just fabulous. Would you believe it? I still have those shoes. I've had them re-sold and healed once or twice, but they're a classic style. They are fabulous and Lorraine Keane was quite right. They were probably the best buy I ever made. So never be afraid to buy good quality. And then enjoy them. And (laughs) And enjoy enjoy them. them, And you know, we're so good in Ireland as well at having lovely pieces. And we leave them in the wardrobe because we're almost afraid to wear them. I know, I have a real issue with that. Keeping something for good. It's like, you know, keeping, and we're notorious for that. Oh God, I'm going to keep that for good wear. Feck it, get it on. (laughs) Go put it on, go wear it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, 100%. And um, that idea of, you know, kind of, because I'm just struck how vividly you can recall the details in that house. And that to this very day, when you're talking about shoes, when you're hanging a painting, when you're doing something in your own home, you were still thinking, how was it done in that beautiful way? Yes. When you first arrived there, were you in awe or did you feel, oh, this is the way I would like <laughs> like oh, things to be done? in awe. Really? Yeah. I mean, I was a young fella from Donegal. I'd never been in a grand, formal, stately home and it was a magnificent house. And, you know, the first people I would have come in contact with were title people. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it just had no understanding of the way those sort of houses worked and mm-hmm. how people lived. And that where people were collected at the airport and there were chauffeur driven cars and clothes unpacked and, uh, you know, breakfast, morning tea brought to their suites and you know, then they'd go riding or uh, Madam would have afternoon tea, you know, uh, just uh, in awe, 100%. not intimidated? No, No. because the family were so good. Yeah. And it was lucky for me because my career later was very much in hospitality. Yes. And when I went to London and my first exposure to five-star hotels, again... My goodness, in awe, I was invited by someone to Claridge's for afternoon tea. And in those days, we're talking about the 60s, 70s, 
you know, the people who came for afternoon tea, mostly ladies, I might add, they were magnificently dressed. Beautiful day dresses and little sort of perches. You know, I was told that when I did a program on the royal wedding, the difference between, you know, a fascinator, a perch Mm -hmm. and a hat. Mm -hmm. You know, but these ladies, imagine, you know, they wore hats to go to afternoon tea I know it's fabulous you know fabulous and then invited to ladies day at Royal Ascot and and because the very kindly ambassador at that time in London included me on a list I was in the royal enclosure and just as well you should be (laughs) to see the you know the absolute detail and people doing things properly now and I don't want to sound like a ferocious snob I'm not at all because I keep going back and referring back to my mother and I always will my mother and father had to work hard to bring up six children on a very meager income Mm -hmm. and my mother's style and ability to dress and ability to stop people in their tracks to say oh my god Catherine you look fabulous was ingenuity creativity and common sense because she did not have brown thomas or arnott's to go to yes Arnott's may have been in Dublin or Guineas in those days and, you know, Sybil Connolly and some great designers. But my mother wouldn't have been able to afford that. But she still stopped people in her tracks. Mm. And I suppose on that point, to this day, I might see something and I thought, oh, my God, that's a great shirt. It might only be, you know, 1999. But who cares? It's just right. And you get what you buy, and there's no point if you wear it to death and a year later you think, oh, this is worn, that didn't get much wear out of that. The reality is you paid 20 euro for it, get over it. (laughs) It served its purpose. The point I'm making, I suppose, is you don't have to buy expensive to look good. Yeah. You have to be creative and intuitive. Intuition is important because I think... So often we put something on in a shop and, you know, a little inner voice is telling us it's not quite right. Yes, you're so right. And we go home and you know what? That inner voice was right Mm -hmm. because you might wear it once or twice and then it goes to a charity shop or thrown away or gifted on to a family member. Mm -hmm. Intuitive shopping is so important Mm -hmm. because there's no point in kidding ourselves we all want to squeeze into an outfit maybe that's meant for a size lower Mm -hmm. or whatever or you know we have to be you know this discussion on the Brendan O'Connor show recently we have to be age appropriate as well Mm -hmm. you know we have to be careful in our choices but our intuition will tell us Mm. because I think genuinely I believe this to be the truth Mm -hmm. Any time we go shopping, if we put something on, we know immediately that's right. You're so right. I really, and sometimes we don't act upon that. We don't act and go and buy it and we go away and then maybe later decide, you know, I should have bought that. You go back, it's gone, or you don't go back because it was in another city or whatever. And you just regret that forever. Yeah. If it's right and the price is right, 
buy the damn thing I because so. it will be right. Yeah. And you know, if we feel it's right, you know, well, your businesses, we look a million times better. A hundred percent. And not to second on, guess. Absolutely. If you put something on that you feel good in and you know is right, you instinctively and immediately and to the world at large look a million times better. Yes. Yeah. I We're, think you're right. I think you're right to, to, to listen to that and, and just to... I always think of it as like, you know, a great love affair. You know, if you're starting off by your first meeting saying, it'll do. I mean, it's probably not going to... If 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 your initial experience of that garment or whatever isn't already exciting you and thrilling you and, you know, and of course, sometimes it can be the state of mind you're in and you need to look after yourself when you're going shopping. But you know when something... You kind yeah. of stand a little taller, you get, a, you get a bit giddy, you start imagining where you'll wear it and you know that that's right for you. And yeah. if you're kind of tugging and pulling and thinking, ah. will it be... It's never going to be the great thing. I know? tell you, <laughs> at the VIP Style Awards, I'm always invited, which is so lovely because it's a lovely celebration of, of fun and mm-hmm. style and fashion individuality. And this year, after sort of being away for some years, they had the Platinum uh, VIP Style Awards. And other years, I would have tortured myself. I'd say, oh, God, I need to get a suit. I need to get a jacket. I'll get something made, blah, 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 blah. I did all of those things. And you know what? I can honestly say I never felt 100% comfortable. Mm. And I always feel comfortable because the suits I have, and again, I shop local. I try to support Mm -hmm. local. A lot of my suits I've made by McGee. That's, I don't, I'm not saying that to promote. I'm just stating a fact because they know me. They know what I want. They know the colors and the styles I like. But this year, at one stage, I just thought, Noel, relax. Mm -hmm. You have a wardrobe full of outfits. So I went to my wardrobe. I chose a Zara suit that I bought off the peg three or four years ago. And I teamed it up with a shirt, a beautiful Jennifer Rothwell bow tie and hanky. And you know what? It looked fabulous. And more importantly, it looked fabulous because I felt comfortable. Yes. Whereas... Before, I'd have tortured myself. I'd have got something made that I know more than you've just said. Ah, it'll do. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas the little nagging voice, I've just bought this. Yes, I'll wear it. But deep down, I will never wear it again. Yeah. Because, and then when you walk into the VIP Style Awards <laughs> to a room full of beautifully dressed people, you're that little bit unsure. At a disadvantage then if you're... Without a doubt. Because any time you go out to an event, whatever you're wearing, you have to be comfortable because then you walk in with confidence and confident people stop people in their tracks and say, God, I wonder who he is. I wonder who she is. Look at that doll. Isn't she kind of fond of herself? All of those marvellous things. Good luck, I say. Be confident. Let them say, isn't she a bit up her own backside? I love it. Just because I want to be myself. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Good on you. (laughs) And tell me, I know, and I don't think you were being snobby saying how fabulous all of these things were. And and it was just that you have an appreciation. And obviously, if you're going to be in these environments like the Royal Enclosure and everything, you're going to take it all in. Particularly, I I feel like you belong there anyway. But what 
what how was it that you came to be there and in these circles and what was the start of the royal journey I suppose with you uh, very simple first of all um, I worked with a hotel company that had some of the finest five-star hotels in the world I was lucky to be in that division I worked um, in fabulous hotels you come across people in those um, circles in those environments um, I have always worked for charities. I've always tried to do something worthwhile. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't say that in any egotistical way. It's merely a fact. Mm -hmm. um, and that brought me into contact with the Princess of Wales. Uh, because in those days, there were two charities I had an involvement with, uh, National Children's Homes. And um, the Princess of Wales was involved with a charity called Birthright. Mm -hmm. I've, I've, I think it's long, long wound up. And they tended to look at um, children pre-birth and try to determine if certain hereditary uh, kind of diseases or, or threats or kind of possibilities that perhaps had been in the family sort of history were going to repeat and could they okay. do something yeah. about it pre-birth that kind of idea and diana the princess of wales was interested in all children mm -hmm. she was beautiful beautiful person um, very kind and she loved children i always say she was this beautiful bird who flew with a broken wing mm. and that was how i first met the princess of wales and that kind of opened other doors in terms of, you know, if you go to an event and the Princess of Wales happens to be the lady who's patron and you're kind of part of the committee, for want of a better mm -hmm. word, you meet other people and then you get invited to other events and that sort of thing. And as to say, for Royal Ascot, it was very simple. Uh, I knew the Irish ambassador in London at that time and he just put me on his list because he knew of my charitable involvement. He knew that I'd sort of been sort of in royal circles for the right reasons, mm -hmm. not trying to kind of uh, hobnob mm -hmm. or yeah. try to kind of be a snob or try to kind of uh, yeah. uh, be above your station, as my mother would say. <laughs> um, and that kind of, it was just my life. It was my work. Yeah. It was nothing more really than just an extension of my work. Well, how did it come to be your work? Was that, did you go into hospitality straight away when you left? Denigal? Absolutely. Okay. No, yeah. I went to school. Yeah. And then. Um, or after, it, board, after yeah, school. Yeah. It was recommended that I do hospitality. Okay. And I loved it. Yeah. Because hospitality, again, it's all about how you dress, how you present yourself, how you present your hotel, how you present your, your what style. <coughs> you know the style of your of your of your actual product yes you know because when you walk into my current hotel harvey's point for which i'm an ambassador those first impressions no more than when i meet you in the street those first impressions are what matter yes how does the place look how are the furnishings is there a magnificent arrangement of flowers in the right place does it catch the eye are the staff, are they well uniformed? Is it coordinated? You know, it's all about image at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. You know, we buy with our eyes. Mm -hmm. And I think actually that's what draws us to our partners as well. We fall in love with 
you know, that's all part of it. Yeah. Yeah. And is there, um, I know that you had worked as well on cruises. I'm not sure chronologically when when that was. Um, I was obsessed with The Love Boat. Do you remember that? Um, I do. remember that show? I was obsessed with it and all I wanted to do was go on cruises and I was always thinking I was I, I gave far too much time to think about cruises and I've still never been on one um, but I loved the idea that people dressed for dinner and I was fascinated by the captain's table and I was fascinated by um, just this idea that there was kind of an elegance throughout and I, I'm sure that um, they're probably more casual now but at the time when you were working there was that true of them that, that this oh, was very important oh my god I bemoan the passing of the great cruise ships um <laughs> How I ended up on cruise ships is very simple. Um, one of the directors of P&O was in our hotel and um, we were chatting and I said that, you know, he was wondering where I came from and how I ended up in London and what did I intend doing and so on and so forth. I said, actually, what I would really like to do is see a little bit of the world. And he said, you know what you should do? Take a couple of years out and go off and work your way around the world. And he said, a good way of doing that is on cruise ships. Mm. So he gave me an introduction to his company. And I was very fortunate. I didn't have to interview or anything. Brilliant. So I got an immediate job um, on one of the great cruise liners. And that was the beginning of two and a half years of sheer joy. Was it really? Oh, because... Now, the ships I worked on were these gorgeous cruise ships. Now, you look at cruise ships, they're exactly like my old cruise ships were like, except they've gone and put an apartment block on top. Oh, right, okay. You know, those <laughs> yeah. monstrous big ships. You know, now I'm glad to see some of the new design uh, ships are getting a little smaller and a little bit more elegant. Mm-hmm. But I lived my first cruise ship. The first thing I saw when I arrived at Southampton, they were actually lifting a Rolls Royce into the hold because the passenger wanted her driver and her car on the quayside at all the ports that we tied up in. Some of the ports, some of the ports we didn't tie up in because we had to come in by tender from the ship because, uh, you know, when you went to the South Sea Islands or out to Fiji or uh, out to some islands like that, they didn't have the capacity to tie up these huge tonnage of Mm -hmm. cruise ship. Mm -hmm. So you came in on tenders. But any, like if you, you know, we berthed at, say, Sydney, for example, they were always, you know, you tied up Mm -hmm. as opposed to off offshore, off off pier. And Madam, the driver, would be on the quayside in uniform waiting for her to come down at whatever time she chose. Now, were you fascinated by her? Or did this become really the norm that these things were happening every day? Of course you were fascinated by it because you had third class, you had second class and you had first class. And you were always conscious of the fact that there was this kind of divide. And upstairs, downstairs. Absolutely. (laughs) And first class, you know, if you were in in second class, although we called it kind of, they dropped the first and second, that was kind of more tourist class, they Mm -hmm. called it, you know, Mm -hmm. you wouldn't dream of going near any of the first class areas. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we really are talking about, um, 
you know, Leonardo DiCaprio and yeah, <laughs> yeah Kate Winslet, yeah. Titanic, yeah. you know, they were gracious. And my goodness, in the evening, men and women dressed for dinner in their best clothes. You know, it was like the VIP Style Awards every night. Mm-hmm. Ladies were <laughs> vying to be the best dressed really? at dinner, you know, and you sort of, You'd see them on the promenade deck in their gorgeous gowns and or up in the crow's nest bar having a gin martini and, you know, and a cigarette holder and beautifully dressed. It's just, it was just fabulous. And we've lost a lot of that, which is such a pity. Yeah. You know, we've become very casual. And that's why I say to anybody who might ask her, any influence that we can bring to bear. If you get an opportunity, dress up and dress appropriate for the occasion. And never mind if somebody says, oh, she overdressed or he overdressed a bit for that. Overdress by all means. Yeah, I know. I think, that is, I think that is what people are scared of, though, yeah. overdressing and kind of um, standing out in a way. And was that a great education for you then for that for all the years since as well in hospitality? Because... You know, I've seen you in action in your hotel and everyone is given the same welcome and everyone is made feel so important and everyone feels, leaves there feeling very special. And, and it's it's a culture in your hotel. And I mean, yes. it, it, it is presented beautifully. You're quite right. But there's a magic and there's a reason that, you know, you're, you've been famous all over the world. And it is that combination of that very, very special welcome and everyone feeling like you are the only person in that hotel at that moment. And did that time and that kind of education in, let's call it first class, second class, third class, did that did that help you learn about um, making sure that everybody felt like they were having the best experience in, in whatever they were yeah. doing? Some wonderful people that I came across in my life taught me the value of making anyone feel that they are the only person. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the worst thing that you can experience is if you and I go tonight to the Shelburne, mm-hmm. And you and I are chatting and someone, you know, let's say, well, no one mm-hmm. comes in and they come to talk to you and I, but they're looking over our shoulder mm-hmm. to see if there's anybody more interesting mm-hmm. that they ought to speak to. I use that as an example because to be able to look anybody straight in the eye and to be present to them is so important. Mm-hmm. Another lesson I learned Um, from an old hotel manager that I worked with. He used to take us out as young managers outside of the hotel on a Monday morning and make us walk in as customers. Oh, right. And that was interesting. Yeah. To see the welcome, how things looked, where the flowers fresh. He used to say, you know, nothing as nice as a beautiful arrangement of fresh flowers. If there's an arrangement and half the flowers are dead it means that nobody cares less Mm -hmm. no little things like that and in hospitality it's all about making people feel that we appreciate your custom Mm -hmm. you have paid money to experience a welcome and a time that will help you relax enjoy unwind you know it's 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 just, you know, that basic tenet, like Captain Scott Masson on one of the cruise ships, Canberra, that I worked on, he used to say to me, Noel, he was such a fine captain, because sometimes 
the captain and officers could perhaps be a little bit snooty. Mm. And he had this lovely ability to walk through the junior ranks and down below stairs where the, the crew ate and just sat down at table and spoke to them and listened to them and heard their story. It's a bit the same in a hotel. Mm-hmm. You know, doesn't matter who you are, where you came from, you are here at my hotel. The least I owe you at Harvey's Point is to make sure that you are treated in the best possible way that we can. Mm. Yeah, that's that's the key to hospitality, mm. you know. And again, the key to life in general, because it doesn't matter how beautifully dressed we are, how well presented, if we haven't learned that most important uniform, that most important aspect of dressing, that most important part of our presentation is our eyes Mm -hmm. and looking at people. And Diana, the Princess of Wales, going back to her, she had that wonderful gift. She gave you a firm handshake. And when you were in her company, if it was only for a minute or 10 minutes, her eyes never left you. And it That's was really interesting as well because people speak about how shy she was. So that was obviously something that was very important to her to ensure yes. that she was engaging in that yeah. way. Yeah, and she looked you straight in the eye and she had that lovely shyness about her. Mm. But um, she obviously in her childhood or in some aspect of her upbringing had been told the importance of that. Mm. And the other lovely thing... Um, I always remember, and I always quote this because I remember after Rosanna Davison won the Miss World. Oh, yeah. I remember we were at a function and I remember Rosanna coming in and all the girls and boys who were serving the drinks in the canopies, they were all in awe of mm-hmm. Rosanna Davison. And, you know, the lovely thing, before she spoke to anybody, you know, in the room, she went over because she knew those boys and girls. Lovely. You know, she spoke yeah. to them all and made them feel so special. But then that's no surprise because her mother, uh, um, you know, um, um, Diana is a beautiful lady too. And just it's that just that ability to make people mm. and that's hospitality mm-hmm. to make, as you say, people feel they are the most important person yeah. in the room at that time it is lovely yeah. you mentioned um princess diana there again and i was thinking about you know as i said i was into vintage fashion and, and fashion history and i know for a long time as you said yourself people looked to the royals for many decades and long before there was ever celebrity um once there was kind of movie stars then it was the royals and movie stars as well and then there was this idea of celebrity and i suppose in a way you know my mom would talk about their fascination with Mar- princess margaret because they also they thought she was a little bit naughty which they kind of liked as well and they thought maybe she was kind of you know um playful let's say um but this idea that she she was a royal, but she was also a celebrity, not through through no agenda of her own. I don't think you know. It was just that she. What do you think it was that that really captured the imagination of the public with her, and and w- was it a lot to do with her style and her clothing and how she presented herself? Uh, uh, she was just um, first of all, she had a presence about her. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some people just have a presence that when they walk into a room uh, they have a certain presence that's that's you know you sense um 
she chose her her clothing well. Mm-hmm. You know, even before she married, before she was even, you know, with Prince Charles. I remember seeing her in in uh, Earl's Court near her apartment. I was parking her car. She was getting out of her car, and um, uh, I held a bag while she closed because she was having it was full of vegetables and fruit, and off she went. And even then, she had that. She was part of that what they called the Sloanies. Yes, yeah. At that time, and they had a certain look, and she did it so well. And then, of course, she was tall. She was easily dressed. Some people are easily dressed. Yes, yeah, Some yeah, people yeah. find it easier than others. Mm-hmm. They have to make a great effort. Yeah. So she had all of those things. But later in life, you know what? She took good advice. Mm-hmm. She wasn't afraid to go to designers. She, she, she realized that all of a sudden, I really am public property. In order to be public property, I have to fulfill my role and make the best possible impression because mm-hmm. I'm the Princess of Wales and I need help because I'm transitioning from Diana, the carefree sort of teenager that was part of the Sloanies, the Sloan set mm-hmm. and that had, a, you know, just the world at their feet. All of a sudden I'm under scrutiny 24 mm-hmm. hours a day and she was humble enough to take advice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about your travels and all the places that that you ended up going, which you probably didn't, maybe you did dream of when you were, you know, when you were still living in Donegal as well. And I was wondering, was there a stage then, because you you mentioned that when you first got to London, I think that you said, actually, I still kind of need to protect myself a little bit and be careful about what I portray. Was there kind of um, a coming of age at all? Or was there a time where you felt actually... I'm going to be free to to express who I am now. Was that during that time on your on Possibly. your travels? Possibly. Younger people now have it a little bit easier mm-hmm. because style has become thanks to social media, thanks to you know just just availability, just uh, creativity, all of those things. Um, so people find their niche much younger mm-hmm. and their style mm-hmm. and what works, and they go for it boys and girls, which is fabulous. Um, I was of a generation when men were uh, considered uh, as kind of should dress a little bit conservatively, suit, shirt and tie, um, individuality and creativity and colour weren't part of the palette or the expectation or the accepted mode of uh, dress you know mm. and not even in the in the world of hotels and when you were no. traveling to these other countries no. really really no. yeah male fashion was still very conservative yes now london of course you went there and all of a sudden carnaby street and yeah. bright colors and yeah. psychedelic and and wonderful wonderful you know patterns and yes of course there's a certain realization there's color out there yes go for it yeah so and then i was in london and you were, you know, you were helped by a, a time of great change. You had people like George Michael, mm-hmm. you know, who wore leather jackets and white jeans and sort of great boots. And Catherine Hamnett was producing the most amazing fashion for men. Yeah. Paul Smith came on, you know, the scene and he was doing men's suits and ties that you... You'd never seen before. Yeah. You know, they weren't like the accepted 
suit that we were all, you know, mm. the dowdy grey or black, you know. Yeah, he was so colourful It was well, fabulous. Yeah. And the cut and, yeah. you know, and all of a sudden people look beyond our shores and because of social media and because of television and because of all of those things, we began to see what Italians were wearing and the Italian men were always kind of so smart and mm -hmm. so colourful, you know. So I was part of that whole kind of change in London and New York at that time. And you found that inspiring? Were Absolutely. You thinking, yeah. And yeah. not even inspiring, comforting, because comforting, you yeah. felt that you weren't an oddball. Yeah. You know, you felt you weren't an oddball because you wanted to wear one of those Catherine Hamlet jackets. Yeah. You know, and I remember going to an event with the Princess of Wales and I wore this magnificent, you know, white jacket with padded shoulders you know, with a pair of, you know, leather jeans. I mean, jeepers, that was so avant-garde, so fabulous. out there yeah. and fabulous. You know, but that was part of that scene at that time. And did you feel like you were pushing the envelope there by wearing Oh, very that? much so, yeah. absolutely. And, but you were ready for that. Then. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Now, I don't think I ever wore that jacket in Donegal, but that's neither <laughs> yeah. here nor there. Yeah. Because yeah. I was wondering that. You, you stayed away for many years yes. traveling and working. When you moved back to Donegal, was there a feeling of, should I dim this a little bit again? Or did you come back fully formed? You know what? I had enough things in my life to sort out. So I thought, you know, I am what I am. Yeah. This yeah. is my life. If I don't bite the bullet now and say, take me or leave me, mm. I ain't changing anymore. I'm not listening to the perceived wisdom on what I should or should not wear mm. or the person I should or should not be. And that was very healthy. Yeah. That was a relief to a point mm -hmm. and a release. Yeah. 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 So you have definitely, from what I can hear, had times where clothing has empowered you and, and helped you for for the way you needed to feel or the way you needed to be on any different occasion. And, you know, I guess the armor that I was speaking about earlier for kind of different things. Have there been times like when you'd think if you saw a photo somewhere, would you be able to say, do you know what? I wasn't quite myself then because you can tell that you weren't getting the joy out of your clothing. I know for me, it's if I start wearing black, I'm thinking, what's going on here? Because actually I'm not really someone that wears that much black. Mm -hmm. So then when I do, I always can kind of go, oh, there was something I was kind of, you know, trying to protect myself a little bit or not be seen a little bit. Or were you always through every stage of your life thinking, well, whatever I do, I'm going to be, you know, having the hair right and the cut right and the clothing right and everything. Uh, yeah, and I think we all look back on old pictures and think, oh, Jesus, what was I thinking of? Yeah. But then you have to cut that thought immediately and try and go back to where you were at that point in your life and what was happening around you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I would have always, I mean, I remember I had my mother pestered for a maxi coat. Oh, yeah. Pestered. <laughs> Pestered, you know, so I was, it was always there. Yes. And, and to this day, I, I, I say with absolute honesty, I've learned and I see around me that clothes and choice of clothes, what we wear, it is empowering mm -hmm. and it is confidence giving mm -hmm. and it is image building and not only for the individual, but for the people around them mm -hmm. and also the 
the organization or whatever or jobs or career that they're part of. Mm -hmm. It's all part of it. Clothes matter. Yes. And would you say the way you present yourself helped you ultimately um, go the showbiz route then as well? Do you think that someone was like, well, Noel is this full package that he has this experience. He is obviously a great communicator. He has met very many people along the way and, and look what an impression he makes. Do you think that that was helpful for not yeah, but to I take th- away from, you know, the, the communicator that you are. Yeah, and, and but what, I think what the that creativity is probably there, you see. Yeah. That's in you. And that's part of the suffering you endure when you're trying to find mm, your style. Yeah. And that's yeah. part of the suffering you endure when you're trying to find and accept your individuality. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the pain when others don't accept your individuality. Yes. So it's all kind of, it's hard to separate them because mm. they're all kind of, mixed up and melange together yes yeah yeah and do you think um when you did start so you started contributing to uk television before you ever did yes. to the irish tv was that a big moment oh god yes yeah i mean sure it's kind of crack it's good fun yeah. too and it's it's also great because as you know if it's in hospitality if it's in harvey's point or if i'm on the Today Show today with, you know, Moran Dahi, I have to think twice about what am I going to wear? How will it look? How will I, um, you know, come across? Yeah. How will people perceive me? Of course, it's all yeah. good fun. And did and your family see that? Were they able to see the UK TV when you first started? No. No. Oh, no, yeah. no. And you know what? It's just, look, I get a great kick out of people stopping me in the street and saying, oh, I heard you talking about that. You're damn right or good fun. <laughs> yeah. I just want people to say, you know what? He's he's a bit of all right. He was good crack. Yeah. And he's always dapper. He always takes care with how he looks because you owe that, we owe that to not only ourselves, but to the people around us. We owe it to others. Yes. Both in our inner complete circle and to those that we come in contact with that we we make an effort. And can I ask you, has there ever been anyone whose style stopped you in your tracks? Oh, God, yes. Really? So many people. Really? Oh, yeah. I remember the film Cabaret. Oh, yeah. And the first shot of Marisa Berenson, who was a friend of Liza Minnelli yeah. in, that, in that movie. Uh, she, was a Jew- she played a Jewish girl. Oh, my goodness. Her style you know, she wore this amazing white hat that you'd need planning permission for <laughs> and this magnificent couture suit, you know, and it was just stunning, you know. And then, you know, you just think that person has such style. And then even more recently, when I see uh, Mr. Craig, Mr. 007, James Bond, <laughs> yeah. pitching up at, at his, um, you know, opening night of, of his last Bond movie. And he just thought, I'm going to wear a beautiful pink tuxedo, yes. yeah. you know, jacket, you know, and it looked fantastic. You know, I, I just there's so many. I can walk down Grafton Street and pick out 100 people. And say, wow, look at how clever they are. Yeah. You know, and it might be something as simple as just putting a a silk hanky in a tweed jacket and wearing it with a pair of sort of scuffed old jeans and a pair of good boots. You know, it's just that ability to 
find your own style yeah. and impress. And yeah. it's a little something, something, isn't it? Sometimes I yeah. just say, I want to observe what it is about this person that I'm so captivated by, you know? And, yeah. and it can be little accessories you just wouldn't yeah. have thought of by the way they do Absolutely. something or kind of changing it a little bit. Um, I was wondering about, you know, you were talking about younger Noel and that thing, thinking I'm, I'll be leaving Donegal and, you know, that, that idea that things would be different. And you've been back there so long. And I think when I think of Donegal, I think so much of you and actually anyone, I have to say, it sounds like a sweeping statement, but anyone I know from Donegal, I mean, they wear their love on their sleeve of, of Donegal. People are so proud to be from there. And it's nearly like another character in your life, I feel, you know. Mm. And, and um, I was thinking you were recently Donegal Person of the Year. Yes. So what would young Noel have thought of that you would not only be back and flourishing and so much part of your community, but that you'd actually have been given that honour as well? I would never have thought in a million years, even... 30 years ago, you know, even as I struggled with various situations in my life that I could ever honestly say that I would find myself back in Donegal as Donegal Person of the Year, accepted and very much part of the community and that I would be so content and so happy and so myself. And that's the key, that I'm myself to be oneself without any of the flotsam and jetsam. This is me. This is who I am. And it's just great freedom. There's great freedom in that. Fabulous. Well, there's, it, it's just a gorgeous thing to listen to as well and to hear your story. And thank you so much for being with us today, Noel. I really love chatting. Well, it's been a pleasure. And thank you for what you do. Thank These you. kind of chats on, on, on your particular podcast are very important because it's nice to hear not only your take on things because you have an interesting life too and you have an interesting take in your questioning that's all inspiring and helpful and you only hope that in anything you do that somewhere maybe someone who is struggling maybe someone who needs a little bit of encouragement maybe someone who needs a little bit of kind of acceptance from what they hear uh, it's all so valuable and so important and and that is that's just a great great thing to be part of brilliant thank you so much noel i really appreciate it